What's up, Joe? What's up, everybody? Today we're sitting down with Javier Sanz Ortiz, international lawyer with vast knowledge and experience in the world of soccer. Javier joins us today to talk World Cup, the action on the field, and the business aspects connected to it all. We'll also talk about the World Cups in 2022 in Qatar and the 2026 Cup to be hosted by the U.S., Canada, and Mexico. It's a lot on tap, and we'll get right to it. Right after my man Andres Cantor is done. Today on Sports 360, Javier Sanz Ortiz. Javier is an international lawyer who has been involved in the game of soccer from the beginning of his career. Uh, Javier has represented athletes, clubs, and coaches on the international uh, stage. He is also the author of a book called The Economic Models in European and American Football, Pursuing Profitability. And he has won several awards for his work. And I'm so excited to have him joining us today on Sports 360. Javier, how are you today? Hello, Jeff. I'm great. I'm, I'm very, very excited to be here with you today. It's, uh, I've seen the group of individuals you have interviewed previously, and I feel a bit honored to be part of this. Thank you very much. Sure. I, I, I'm glad to have you here, uh, you know, to have an opportunity to talk about uh, the World Cup, to talk about soccer generally. And and for me, Javier, and we've talked about this, you and I have uh, separately, uh, that we and that I am not a big soccer fan, uh, but I, I am interested in sports and, and in the personalities and the issues and all of the things that go with such a beautiful game as soccer and an event like the World Cup. So I'm excited to uh, talk with you today, someone who has vast experience uh, in soccer and working in soccer for so many years, because I think I'm going to learn some good things today. And um, I'd like to see if we can start the conversation just, you know, talking generally about the World Cup. As we sit here today, Javier, it's July 2nd. Uh, a couple of days before the 4th of July, and um, we're in the knockout round of the World Cup. And I just want to ask you, you know, generally overall, how has, what are your thoughts on how the tournament has gone uh, so far as a spectator, as you're watching and enjoying the games? Uh, what are your thoughts on the, on the tournament to date? Well, I think that um, this, I've been able to watch several um several World Cups throughout my life. I am 32 years old. And, you know, I've, I've been following soccer since I was a kid. And I think that this is one of the most interesting World Cups I've ever watched for different reasons. The, the first one is because the VAR has been implemented. The VAR is a system that allows referees to um, review different plays during the game that, um, you know, might be uncertain for them. So, for example, if there is a penalty that hasn't been called and the ref is not sure about if it was a penalty or not, they can review those plays. I think that's making the game uh, more fair and that's making people 
um, be away from that whole controversy of that was a bad call or you know the ref was mistaken. That that doesn't happen or it's not happening in this World Cup. And I think that this is very very interesting uh, for the uh, for the sake of soccer. Um, secondly, is because of the number of goals scored. I think that right now we I think that at this point uh, we are just seeing goals on every single game. No games have been zero zero so far, if I'm not mistaken. And that's great for um, the soccer fans, but also for fans that, you know, are following soccer for the first time because it's making the sport exciting for them. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy with uh, what is happening on the field, um, you know, with all the conversations I'm having with people um, on a daily basis because it feels like everybody is very, very excited about this World Cup. Yeah, and, and you know, I was in a restaurant the other day. It was the middle of the afternoon. I was having lunch, and... Uh, I, I don't recall what game was on, but, you know, you could just feel the excitement in the restaurant as those, you know, were uh, around the television watching the game. And so it, it generally, it, it certainly generates a lot of excitement. Now, for you, Javier, um, you know, yesterday uh, had to be a tough day. I mean, you hail from Spain and Spain got knocked out by Russia. So how how difficult was that? for you on yesterday? Well, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it, was, it was a tough day for, for me, um, for Spaniards uh, in general. Um, you know, nobody... Um, what well, I mean, you, if, when your team is part of the World Cup, you're expecting them to go as far as possible. But at the same time, you know, I've been playing sports my whole life. Um, and, you know, I understand that sometimes you win and you lose. Uh, Russia played a really, really good game with their style of playing. Um, you know, I think that the beauty of soccer is that you can play in different styles uh, to win the game. And all of them are good if they help you and your team to um, to use the skills of the players you have, you know, in the best way possible. Um, you know, they were able to defend the whole game. They were able to um, contend Spain and go to the go to the penalties. And at that point, you cannot control anything. Um, anything can happen. Uh, you know, regretfully, it was uh, unlucky for Spain. But I think that we will come back stronger in Qatar in 2022 and try to uh, go further. Sure. I'm, I'm sure that's right. And I know the, the day before that, you know, we saw two icons get eliminated, uh, Messi and Ronaldo, uh, uh, both Argentina and, and Portugal losing on Saturday. And when that happens, Javier, in, in the context of a World Cup, is that something that is viewed as a disappointment from a spectator standpoint, or is it the opposite, where it actually generates more excitement for the tournament because, you know, perhaps you have uh, some upstart teams or others who are, you know, who are now playing well and advancing. How is that viewed when we see some of the icons get knocked out of the tournament? I think that obviously this is disappointing for the soccer fans because you are uh, you are probably mm, losing the two best uh, players in the world, right? Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. They there is nobody like them uh, at this point. Um, but at the same time, it's a clear reflection of what the World Cup is about. It's not about one individual. It's not about one talented player. It's about the team. And it's about how strong you are 
uh, as a team. In this case, I think that uh, France and Uruguay, which were uh, playing against Argentina and Portugal, are stronger teams uh, than Argentina and Portugal, and I think that they showed that yesterday. For example, France, they have a very, very talented uh, group of young players, very young players, uh, that were able to play the final of the Euro Cup uh, two years ago. And I think that as a unit, they uh, are generating excitement because of those kind of players. Fans are, young fans are uh, finding new, um, new superstars to follow that are not Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo anymore. And, you know, some of those are in, are in France. And in the event of, in the case of Uruguay, this team has had the same head coach for the last 15 years which you know, can tell you how solid and how structured and how much they know what, they wanna, what their style of playing is. And that is really, really important when you're playing a short tournament like this one. You need to understand what your style of playing is. You cannot have doubts and you just have to go ahead and uh, execute when you're on the field. And that's what Uruguay did. I think that both, both teams, France and Uruguay, are not only, were not only favorites for uh, the games on Saturday, but they're also favorites to go farther in this World Cup. Mm. Interesting, interesting. Uh, and in terms of um, fan excitement and the passion, because I think that's one of the things for me, Javier, that I, I'm really struck by um, when, it, when it comes to the World Cup and to soccer generally, is the passion that the fans have for the game. And the only thing that I've seen um, that comes close to it here in the States actually was the world baseball classic. So it was an international event that I attended. I attended the first uh, world baseball classic uh, when I was working for the players association and to see teams like Venezuela and the Dominican Republic and, and Cuba playing in a small stadium in Puerto Rico and the passion that the fans had in, in watching that game was something that I've never ever saw before. And and yet that seems to be something that's pretty commonplace when it comes to soccer generally and certainly to the World Cup. Um, so, it, I mean, that to me is something that, that is just striking. And, and so does it go, does the passion increase or is that something that, that in soccer you, you see that kind of excitement and emotion from the fans, World Cup or no World Cup? Well, I am... Um... I think that obviously if you uh if you take out of the equation the super fans, those fans that, you know, live every single game of the um, of their team with you know, as they are living for it and as they need them to, to win badly every single game, I think that there is no other feeling like supporting a team during the World Cup. Uh, maybe maybe if your team makes it to the Champions League uh, final in, in Europe or to those kind of uh, international competitions. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there's nothing stronger than supporting a team, right? You are not supporting, um, you are not supporting colors. You are supporting uh, a nation. And, you know, that, that power and that uh, support that those teams are having from, from the countries, it's, it's huge. Um, this morning, I was thinking about uh, our conversation last week, and I was uh, trying to find a way of 
explaining what the World Cup is for somebody that is not a soccer fan. And I think that the best way of explaining that is probably if you, if you take a blender and you put on it the Super Bowl and March Madness. And the result of that, you know, that craziness that goes on during one, uh, during one month and that passion you feel for your team if they are there, um, I think that that's, that's uh, probably the most similar um, to, to the World Cup. Mm. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Well, let me ask you this, though. If that's the case, what happens, like, for, for example, with you? You, you know, mm-hmm. you, you're from Spain, you were rooting for Spain, but Spain has gotten knocked out of the tournament. What does that do for you as a fan and as a spectator? Do you now say, well, my team, my nation is knocked out, and so I'm going to go do something else? Or do you continue to stay invested in the tournament? I, I think that, uh, well, not only me, because obviously, uh, you know, watching soccer is part of my, is part of my job. So I would watch it anyway, but... Uh, there's also some. There is there is also fun part on me and on on all the soccer fans on following other teams once the once the team has been knocked out, right? So there is always a possibility to root for your grandmother's uh, country, mm. or for your girlfriend's country, or for that player you really like and you weren't able to support before because you were supporting your country. Now you can support for that team. Uh, now you can support that team. And, you know, in myself personally, I was, I have to admit that, uh, you know, probably this is not going to make me look really good, but uh, my team <laughs> after Spain was knockout was, um, was Japan, right? Because I, I feel like, you know, I, I like to support under, the underdog. And even if uh, Japan and Japanese soccer league is on the top 10 of uh, um the top 10 of leagues that generate more revenue per year uh, with the NBA, NFL, NHL. Um, I, um, I felt like nobody was expecting them to be able to compete against Belgium. And, you know, I, I like that idea. I like the idea of supporting somebody and nobody's expecting to win because they actually put some work today and they were, they were almost uh, able to win the game and uh, qualify for, uh, classified for quarterfinals. So, you know, I think that that excitement um, can be taken to any single game. And, you know, people do that. People, even if your team is not playing, uh, you, are, you always choose one team that is playing that day and you root for that team. That's part of the excitement and that's what brings people together. So we have the competition uh, on the field and we have the passion that you just talked about um, from, the, from the fans. Uh, but we also have economics. I mean, this is a big sporting event and there's, you know, huge dollars involved. Uh, and so I want to talk a little bit about the economics. You're a businessman, you're a lawyer, you've been involved in soccer in, in, in a variety of ways for a number of years. Can you talk to us a little bit about the benefits of the World Cup for the hosting country in particular, but also, you know, just talk about some of the benefits, both economic and, and non-economic. Uh, associated with the World Cup? Sure. I, well, I think that, first of all, uh, I would personally differentiate between two types of benefits, right? Sustainable benefits and short-term benefits. Um, and I think that's, that, would, that can help people to understand a bit better what we're talking about here. Um, 
as part of the sustainable benefits are, for example, the facilities that are built for the event. This is the stadiums, right? Um, in order to host the World Cup, uh, a team, a country needs to, a hosting country needs to have a certain number of stadiums that can host certain number of people. Um, you know, either if the country has those stadiums already or if they need to build them, this is obviously something that's going to be is going to remain there for some time, and it will be able to be used by the by the cities, by the clubs. Uh, so it's something that it's, it's an asset that the, a country can can um, keep after the World Cup. Another one is the increase on the number and quality of football development programs, right? Um, either both for elite game, talent identification, uh, and grassroots. Um, this obviously, um, what this means is uh, that um, if you are hosting a World Cup and this uh, this is getting a lot of a lot of attention from um, from the people of the country, uh, the first thing you would see is that first of all, kids want to get involved in soccer, and they mm-hmm. turned and they turn to pay attention more to soccer, and they wanna. They want to try to make it to the World Cup, uh, to a World Cup national team that's going to play in that World Cup in particular. Um, so this helps soccer to attract more talent, but also to pay more attention to that and develop better programs for those kids to to be the best player they can be. Right. Um, another another benefit is the increase on the cooperation and goodwill between the various the various stakeholders which are the member association, the government, and other big stakeholders. Um, also, as, as you mentioned before, is, uh, is it increases the civic pride and community empowerment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you feel proud that your country is hosting a World Cup. And, you know, for, for eight years, because since you get the World Cup, uh, since you get the hosting rights until you celebrate the World Cup, the, there, are, there is uh, eight, eight years um, time frame. For years, uh, the whole soccer world is paying attention to your country, and they keep talking about it. So, you know, being uh, living in that country and being part of that experience is something that makes you feel proud as well. Um, another benefit is the enhancement is how how the partnerships um, can be enhanced through that, and how global brands and brands that are part of that country are start, start paying attention to to soccer in particular, and they want to involve they want to be involved on soccer, they want to invest on soccer, they want to sponsor soccer events um, because, you know, that's something that's probably one of the trendiest things that is happening in those eight years in the country. Um, And obviously, uh, don't forget that uh, players, those players playing the World Cup, those players uh, that are representing your country are role models for kids. So as I said before, uh, kids will be paying attention to those to those players and will be trying to learn from them, um, and that's something that remains on you know how the culture of the country um, grows and develops. Um, those are part of the um, of the um, uh, benefits that are going to remain in the country for for you know for a long time. And I think that maybe we, maybe if you are okay with that, uh, we can talk about the the clear example of the Russian World Cup right now. Um, yeah, I would. I, I want to ask you a question before you get there. So hold that. I want to yeah. come back to that. I just want to ask you because, especially on the growing of the game part, uh, that's something that here in the United States we've heard for a good while that soccer is 
growing and it's going to continue to grow and um, and become a dominant sport. Uh, as someone who is well versed in 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 soccer, ha- have you seen that uh, in, in the United States? And I, I'm trying to get a view that's not a biased view. I don't want you know, right? Someone who looks at this from the international perspective have has you have you seen in this country, for example, the growth of soccer um, over the years as as you know because. The, the U.S. national team, especially the women, have had some success, and the men have had some success along the way as well. But have you seen that uh, as something that has taken place in this country? Some of the things that you're talking about in terms of this, I will call the infrastructure growth of the game. Well, definitely, I think that um, you know there are there are two uh, there are two uh, United States of America right now. There is one prior to uh, to when um, North America, U.S., Canada, and Mexico got the hosting rights of the World Cup for 2026, and there is another um, U.S. after they got the rights. And the reason why is because um, well, soccer has been growing exponentially in the U.S. since the Major League Soccer was created, right in uh, 1993. Um, you know, that was part of hosting the, the World Cup here in the U.S. Um, at that point as well. And, you know, I, I, I could, you know, I could tell you what I feel, but I also think that it's important to, um, to go to the numbers. And the reality is that right now soccer is number one participating in sports in the U.S. as mm-hmm. of now. And, you know, if we, uh, I think that the numbers are like more than 24 million people play soccer at some level in the U.S. And this is, you know, and the U.S. is only, it's second only to China, which, which means that, you know, they are in a, in terms of fans of the game, there is, uh, there is no doubt that this is, uh, there is a huge interest. And this is one of the countries where you have more fans of the game. And most importantly, more people that play the sport, not only watch it, but also play it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, also if you think about, um, TV um, viewership uh, um, of the games. Uh, I think that here in the states, 26.5 million people watched the last uh, the last final of the World Cup in 2014, and this was this was the men's World Cup, right? And uh, you know, just to give some examples, uh, the NCAA men's college basketball championship had 23 million viewers, and the Winter Olympics closing ceremony had 21 million. So it's even higher than this. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you think about women's soccer, it's the same situation. More than 25 million Americans watched the Women's World Cup final in 2015, uh, the, the World Cup that took place in Canada and that faced um, the U.S. versus Japan. So, you know, there is clearly an interest for soccer here. And uh, what I think is that if you combine that interest and the fact that the U.S. has more than 325 million people living in the country, and then you use uh, the um, hosting the World Cup as a loudspeaker for this, uh, I think that uh, I think that soccer is going to grow even faster in this uh, in the following eight years. Okay. All right. So now let's go back to the point you were about to make. I think you're going to relate what was what's going on in Russia now to the points that you were talking about earlier about some of the benefits of hosting the tournament. Yeah, well, I was going to use a, a clear, a, 
an example um, that is happening right now. So we could relate to something that is, you know, that is is real. Um, right, uh, reports have. Um, um, Russian media has reported that uh, Russia has invested around 14 billion dollars on hosting the World Cup. Um, just to give you an idea, uh, six billion of those uh, were invested in transport, in transport infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, four, four billion were invested on stadium construction, and around 700 million were invested in accommodation. Just to, so, if you think about that, and if you um, if you look at numbers, you see that transport, infra transport infrastructure, stadium construction, and accommodation are elements that are not going to be there only for the World Cup, but Russians and tourists are going to be able to use them after the World Cup as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, those are excellent points. And so that's, and that's part of what goes on with you know, all, all of the World Cups that are being held. Now, on that point, Javier, let's, let's transition a little bit. You know, this World Cup is not over. And by mm -hmm. the way, before we're done, you're going to give us your expert opinion on how the World Cup <laughs> is going to play out. And you're going to get it, all of it right. You're going to get every match right. Um, and so we're going to get that from you before we leave. But if we look forward beyond this World Cup, the next World Cup in 2022 is in Qatar. Mm -hmm. And there have been, you know, some reports at some point along the way of some concerns with some of the building and the, you know, building up the stadiums and, and the infrastructure. And in particular, the working conditions under which those workers uh, were going, there were some real concerns about that. Um, do you know where that sits now? Is that something that has were, were there really some concerns there, and if there were, have they been addressed? Yeah, I well, I think that that's a that's a great question. As as you have mentioned, uh, uh, on twenty twenty two, the FIFA World Cup is scheduled to take place in Qatar, and this is, and I think this is important to to be mentioned. This is, will be the first World Cup ever to be held in the Arab world, and the first in a Muslim majority country. Um, and it will be the first World Cup held in Asia since the 2002 tournament in South Korea and Japan. Um, why do I say this? Because at the end of the day, uh, soccer is a global sport, right? And you need to give those countries that are not on the that are not so strong on the soccer world a chance to be present and a chance to to share the excitement of of this beautiful sport. Um, so. So yeah, that's that's the good part, right? Uh, that this is very unique in terms of giving uh, Qatar the chance to organize the the World Cup. But obviously, there has been there has been huge controversies with this decision. And if you want, we can we can talk about them. Um, well, the first one is uh, corruption, right? Accusations of corruption have been made relating to how Qatar won the right to host the, to host the event. Um, FIFA completed an internal investigation into these allegations and a report cleared Qatar of any wrongdoing. But even, even those uh, investigators that were part of FIFA at that point weren't, weren't so sure that uh, that report was being, was being uh, uh, or the investigations were being run in the right way. Uh, so as of now, there are still doubts on if Qatar 
paid money to win votes uh, to host uh, to host the World Cup. So far, nothing has been done in this sense. Um, but yeah, that's that's something that is still in the air, and you know there are conversations about that in the in the soccer world. Um, the another controversy is the treatment of, of foreign workers, as you have mentioned before. Uh-huh. Uh, a number a number of groups and media outlets have expressed concern over the suitability of Qatar to host the event, uh, mainly because of the of their interpretations of human rights. Uh, particularly worker conditions and the rights of fans in the LGBT community, since, as you know, homosexuality is illegal in Qatar. Right. Um, even Amnesty International has referred to workers' conditions as forced labor and stated that workers have been suffering human rights abuses uh, despite worker welfare standards being drafted in 2014. Um, there, was, there was actually an investigation by the Guardian newspaper claiming that Many workers are denied food and water, have their identity papers taken away from them, and that they are, they are not paid or, or not paid uh, on time. Uh, so there has, been some, um, there has been some working on this. And in October 2017, the International Trade Union Confederation said that Qatar had signed an agreement to improve the situation of more than 2 million migrant workers in, in the country. And... It is expected that this agreement will affect the general situation of workers in a positive way, especially of those who work on the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Um, as an example, uh, workers will no longer need their employer's permission to leave the country or change their, their jobs. Mm. Um, okay. Another controversy, and you know, this was something that uh, it was a challenge and we actually spoke about that uh, last week when we had this first conversation, is the extreme heat. Yes, right? yes. Um, obviously, this is key. Uh, this is key and very dangerous for players and fans' welfare. And even Joseph Blatter, which is the former president of FIFA, um, <laughs> remarked that it was a huge mistake to give the World Cup, uh, the World Cup rights to Qatar due to the extreme heat. Um, it's interesting that they, he mentioned that after they gave them the, the rights, but uh, <laughs> at least, at least he uh, he admitted his mistake. So in right. this sense, in this sense, there has been two decisions uh, that has been made. The first one is uh, to change the date of the World Cup from the summer from summer to winter. Um, the other one is to build stadiums with cooling te- technology. So um, these stadiums they are building in Qatar are stadiums that are able to uh, reduce temperatures within the stadium by up to 36 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. Okay. That's yeah, expensive, expensive solution though. But mm-hmm. you know, hopefully, hopefully it will, be, it will make the experience uh, of the fans and the players a little bit more uh, comfortable while they're there. Right. So that right, and the tournament is going to be played in November, December, as you mentioned, in, in the winter uh, to accommodate, um, well, to avoid the heat of of the summer, but also too, Javier, the, the isn't the schedule condensed? Aren't they playing the tournament in twenty eight days? Is that normal? Is or is or is that a shorter period of time? Well, um, I've heard a lot of uh, comments about about this because it's going to be 28 days. If you think about this World Cup that is taking place right now, it goes from 
June 14th to July 15th, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so that's, that's around the same time. Sure. <laughs> You're talking about maybe 30, 32 days and not 28. Um, and yeah, obviously, um, you know, the more games you play in a shorter period of time, the worse this is for the players. Because, you know, uh, you need at least three days to recover from a soccer game due to, um, due to all the effort your body is doing. So uh, maybe the case that they, the players that they're exposing players are a little bit more to injuries, but um, I don't see a huge uh, difference between, you know, the length of, this, of, of the World Cup in Qatar and the length of the previous World Cups. Um, one comment I would like to make about uh, the calendar itself is that, um, well, obviously, this, uh, this calendar, I'm moving the date to, um, from, to November and December, has created a huge controversy um, between uh, some of the leagues. And actually, there has been a statement from the Football Federation of Australia and also from the Premier League uh, thinking about taking legal actions against FIFA uh, because this could jeopardize their competition, or at least the schedule of their competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is interesting. So, what happens now, though? You may have to explain this. So, we don't have any kind of conflicts uh, with the World Cup being played now with other federations and other leagues, because I mean, or, or is is that something that doesn't exist? I mean, because they're complaining, I would imagine, because the games are being held in November and December as opposed to the summer, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And so now we don't have those issues. If, if the games are played in the summer, that doesn't present any, any conflicts with any leagues or federations? No, because if you think about that, most of the, most of the leagues um, actually have um, have a calendar that goes from August, September to um, uh, April, May, or mm-hmm. May, June. Uh, so usually during the summer, they don't play any competitions. And the main, t- the main uh, two leagues that actually have a different calendar are the Japanese Soccer League and the Major League Soccer. Um, but for them, they keep playing while the World Cup is happening. So it might affect a little bit their TV ratings, but they um, they keep they keep playing while while the World Cup is taking place. Got it. Okay. So now recently, right, 2026, it's yes. been announced that the United States, Canada, and Mexico mm-hmm. will host the World Cup, and that's the first time we've had three countries hosting the World Cup. What went into that decision as far as, as you know, visible? You know, why, why did we get to that point where we're having two other countries and not just the United States or not just Canada? How, how did it get to be that we have three countries hosting the 2026 Cup? Well, I think that, first of all, uh, right now you need to get very creative when you, um, when you try to bid to host an international event. And, and you need to you need to try to do things that have never been before, right? So I think that um, the idea of combining three countries that are obviously in the same uh, in the same area and that are connected and that have a history together is uh, is a good way of telling a new story. 
and this is a story about uh, being together. It's a story about creating something, even if you are from different cultures, even if you have different regulations, even if you speak a different language. And I think that this is this very this is a very interesting uh, way of approaching hosting international events. Um, also, uh, this the fact of organizing that in three countries like uh, like Mexico, U.S., and Canada is going to is going to allow uh, spread out a little bit the um, the interest in the event, and it's going to spread out the energy and the excitement in three different countries, which, as you can imagine, for FIFA is something huge. You're not only approaching, you're not only, uh, approaching the fans in the U.S. Now you are already engaging the fans in Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. Yeah. And and what what about the structure of the tournament? Is that been set? Do we know how many games are going to be held in yeah. each of the three countries? Yeah, yeah, we know. Well, basically, this is the, as you have mentioned, this is the first time three countries are organizing this event together. Uh, but this is not the only novelty. There, there is going to be an increase in the number of teams from 32 to 48. And therefore, uh, on the number of games. So we are increasing from 64 games that are the games that are taking place now in Russia and the games that will be taking place in, in Qatar. And we are going from 64 to 80 games, which obviously is going to increase uh, you know, revenue uh, for the countries. It's going to increase the, the length of the stay of the tourists uh, when they are coming to support their teams. Um, and coming to, to your question, um, the U.S. is going to be the country that is going to host most of the games, and they are, they will be hosting around 75% of the games. And Canada and Mexico will be hosting the the rest. And so you mentioned earlier about the sustainable benefits and other benefits of hosting. So here we are, and as you said, we have an eight-year runway right, where the U.S. and Canada and Mexico as well are going to be gearing up for the World Cup and making all kinds of infrastructure improvements and changes and things of that sort. And so the expectation should be, I would think, that given some of the numbers you gave earlier about the interest in the United States for soccer, that can only increase, or that should be the hope, right, that now that we have this eight-year window and run up to the World Cup, that that's going to bode well for the continued growth of the game here in the United States. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's completely right. If um, if you think about the soccer interest, um, you know how fans are engaged with the game. Um, this can only help as a loudspeaker to promote soccer even louder and to make everybody pay attention to this game instead of the other major, major league events that are taking place in, in the United States. And, you know, just to, give you, just to give you an idea of how much impact this uh, World Cup can have in the U.S. And, you know, I would be approaching the U.S. because, um, first of all, is where most of the games are going to take place, 75%, as I said, but also because you cannot compare how spread out soccer is in Mexico. Uh, which is like a, it's, soccer in Mexico is a religion with, mm-hmm. you know, how, how soccer is in the, in the U.S. But, um, you know, hosting the 2026 FIFA World Cup, 
can generate more than five billion in short-term economic activity in wow. the U.S., wow. including to, including uh, forty thousand jobs and more than one billion incremental worker earnings across North America. And this is this is only the short-term uh, the short-term impact, mm-hmm. right? Um, the um, one of the most important reports that the um, the um, uh, Mexico, Canada, and the and U.S. Um, committee put together um, was uh, was a report focused on the economic impact. And this study um, estimated that individual host cities could expect to see approximately from 160 to 620 million in incremental economic activity mm. for hosting uh, an event. And obviously, you know, why is, is there such a difference or such a big difference between, you know, 160 and 220 million? Well, because it depends on the number of matches uh, hosted, the venue capacity, current levels of tourism, cost of living. You know, there are different factors that uh, need to be taken into account. Um, but this is obviously going to be very beneficial for uh, for the short term and for these eight months, uh, for these eight years, as we as we mentioned it. But this is not the this is not the only element. In, in my opinion, I think that um, the growth of soccer as a brand is going to make global brands uh, to want to be more engaged with this sport in particular. Um, there are different reasons for that, but you know there are two that are very simple to understand. The first one is sponsoring a soccer team or a soccer league in the U.S. is cheaper than sponsoring any other major league or any other major uh, major league team. Uh, so you know if you want to be a sponsor of the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, or if you want to be a sponsor of the New York Yankees, obviously you can imagine how much you need to invest in order to, in order to combine your logo with their logo. Right. That's, not the, that's not the same situation with Major, League, uh, with Major League Soccer and Major League teams, Major League Soccer teams. So that's something that is going to be important for, for sponsors because you are attaching your name to a sport that is trendy, is going to be around for a long time, but also is very uh, it's a hot topic right now uh, because the soccer world and the whole world has their eyes in the U.S., Canada, and Mexico right now. Right. Well, I mean, it's going to be exciting times over the next eight years. Then uh, here in the United States and also in Canada and and in Mexico. Um, okay, so Javier, we, we, we're about to close, and so I'm coming back as I promised. <laughs> to get your predictions on this World Cup, uh, we 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 want to get the benefit of your knowledge and of the game and and give us your predictions of how you see this World Cup, the 2018 World Cup, uh, playing itself out over the next two weeks or so. Well, first of all, I think that you're probably asking me the uh, most difficult question I've ever been asked. <laughs> <laughs> These are, you know, as I said, this is like March Madness and Super Bowl, and we both have experienced how March Madness goes. You right. never know who can win. Everything is crazy. You have this last, uh, this last shot that gets in, and one team is out, the other one is in. And you know, I'm just thinking about the Super Bowl the Patriots played uh, last year, not this mm-hmm. year, but last year. How crazy it was that that comeback they had. So. Right. 
So, you know, it's very, very difficult, but um, I might try, um, I'm going to try to at least see, um, at least let you know what I think in terms of, uh, in terms of the team. So we know that um, right now we have Sweden playing Switzerland tomorrow. Um, I think that Switzerland might win that game. Um, basically, I think they have, both of them are very similar and they have a similar structure in terms of playing, but I think Switzerland might have more talented players in this, uh, in this event. So I will give them that, that possibility to go to the quarterfinals. Then we have Colombia, England. And in that case, I would choose England. Uh, really young team, uh, really talented players, good coach and good structure. So I think they can, they can beat Colombia tomorrow. Um, and then what we have there is, uh, we have England, Switzerland. I think England might win that game because I think they are a stronger team. Um, the other game that is on that bracket is Russia, Croatia. It's true that Russia has a very strong team in terms of a unit, but Croatia has a strong team and also talented players. I will give them the, the chance to, to be there in the semifinals. On the other side of the bracket, Uruguay versus France, I think, um, they're not going to believe this uh, because I've said that France had a very, very strong team. Mm-hmm. But I think that Uruguay is even stronger as a unit. And it's this kind of team that would never, it's very hard to beat and they can score in any chance they have. So I think Uruguay might go to the semifinals. And Brazil, Belgium, I would say that uh, Brazil will go to the semifinals because they have a better defensive structure. So now, uh, I know I, I don't wanna I don't wanna stand myself a lot here. So now we have Uruguay and Brazil and Croatia, England. I think that Brazil might play the final against Croatia. And wow, Jeff, then everything can happen. Everything can happen. <laughs> I I personally would like to see Croatia winning because that's not something very common. Mm-hmm. And I think that would, that would make fans that, that are not part of the soccer environment to be to pay more attention to the game and to think that oh wow it's it's possible to be an underdog it's possible to it's possible not to have a really very strong name and still be a world champion as you know as that as it happened with Spain in 2010 mm-hmm. uh, that was the first time we won the World Cup nobody was expecting that we could win. And once you do it, then you have a lot of synergies happening in that country. Then you have a lot of potential opportunities for the national team, for the country, for the kids to grow with that loudspeaker, which is being the world champion. Um, so I, w- I would like to see Croatia win it. And I have a lot of Brazilian friends, so I hope they understand this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Uh, I, I was writing all of this down, so we're going to see how it plays out. Um, and it, 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 no matter how it plays out, I think we all can agree it should be exciting over the next ten days or so. Well, but Javier, listen, I, I, I want to thank you for taking some time out and 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 sharing with us your your knowledge of of the game. And you know, for me in particular, again, I, I learned a lot uh, about uh, some of the. Um, you know some of the intricacies of of the economics and the and the other benefits of the of, of the game, but also just learning about um, you know the the World Cup 
overall. So I appreciate you coming and, and, and uh, spending some time with us. And I look forward to you coming back because I want to talk about some of the great things that you're doing in your career. We didn't touch on that. We wanted to touch on the World Cup, given that's what's going on right now. But I'd like to have you back at some point uh, to talk a little bit more about some of the great things that you're personally doing in your career. Uh, well, I can only say that, uh, you know, as you know, I learned uh, everything I know about baseball from you. Uh, <laughs> while, while I had you as a professor, um, I would say that at the, at, at the beginning it was a painful experience because it wasn't only learning um, the baseball cases that made an impact into sports law here in, in the U.S., but also trying to learn the rules at the same time. I wouldn't say I, I won't say that, that was that was easy. It was a little bit painful, but I've been hoping and waiting for a long time to be able to return you the favor and uh, to share with you some of the my two cents on on so. So you know I, I'm happy that I was able to do that, and you know I would be more than happy to come back uh, whenever you want to have me. Sure. And I'd be glad to, to to have you come back and we can talk about, again, some of the things that you're doing, because I think you, um, you, you're you one of the more, I believe, fascinating uh, individuals out there working in sports today. So I'd like to have you back and, and, and talk about all the great things you're doing. Happy to do that. Um, you know, I think you're being too kind. But uh, <laughs> thank you very much. Please keep having an idea of me, Jeff. I really, okay. I would really appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate it. So we'll we'll catch up with you, and we'll see how this World Cup ends up. So uh, thanks, Javier, for coming on. Thank you, Jeff. That was a great sit down with Javier Sanz Ortiz. I learned a lot about the World Cup from his insights. And I trust you did too. He gave us the ins and outs of both the competition and the business of the World Cup. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Leave us a comment and tell us what you think. As I make my way out of here, I'm riding shotgun with Scully. But don't worry, it's all good. I got my seatbelt on. God willing, I'll be back next week with another fascinating guest on Sports 360.